have a few sorts of like themes for this session. Like we really like to talk a little bit about what we've been working on since the last town hall as a team. I mean, we have the really nice thing here is that we have people from the team from all walks of life. We have, for example, Tom, who is our most recent teacher here at Scrimber, who can maybe tell us a little bit about some of the updates to the career path and the curriculum, as well as Bob, of course, and, and also Yupa, who's always involved. And then, of course, we have uh, Froda, who has a great overview of all the things happening on the platform, such as the website and the Scrimber editor. And of course, we have Per, your, you know, the first teacher you encountered, you encounter in the career path and the CEO at Scrimber. Um, who I'm sure can share a few things as well. And so with that in mind, does anybody, I, I thought maybe, I'm just thinking where would be a good place to start. I thought maybe, Frodo, you could share some of the things that the engineering team have been working on in the last week or so, because I know that we're hitting things from all fronts lately. There's a lot of things happening. Yeah, um, we are, if you joined us last time, we did talk a little bit about our, the engineering team and we have been really focused like internally on um, operations the last, well, this year, the whole month of January. I'll actually share a screenshot now in the chat, which is our sprint, which grew from a one to two week sprint into basically a month. But uh, we've been redoing our whole infrastructure, making it infrastructure as code meaning that uh, basically anyone can come and run uh, some scripts from our infrastructure and it will be set up without anyone needing to know. You know, there's often like quirks like on this machine, you need to do this and it's placed in a different folder and like internal things. So we're trying to re like remove ourselves from that and make it more automated how we do infrastructure. And so in the chat, you'll see basically our board for, for uh, that sprint and we're getting quite close to finishing it. Hopefully in the next couple of days, we can close that sprint actually. Um, and then our next up on, on what we will be working on is customer facing as in student facing, uh, like uh, things that impact you guys. And we'll do just to get into shipping. We want to do quick fixes. I'll just share a little list here as well. That's from our upcoming sprint where there's a lot of like small tweaks visual bugs, um, like uh, prices being shown weirdly in some places and just like small tweaks and they should be what I would call like a Pomodoro length uh, uh, fix, meaning 23 minutes uh, for at least maybe you have to spend more time getting into the context. Where is this problem? How does it look? For whom, whom does it impact? And then the fix itself should be a quick like Pomodoro uh, thing to to get it out. And hopefully with that, we'll get into a good like uh, flow of, of getting things out. And if we can do uh, a majority of like, we'll see how much we can do in one week. Hopefully we can do most of that actually. And that would be good. It's often good to just get into the flow of shipping for the team. So that, that's the goal. Definitely. And so this kind of list of the tasks essentially, right? Like to do's. Is this how, you know, say someone's listening and they're maybe looking to get a job as a junior dev, is this kind of how they can imagine uh, their workflow to look? Is this often how things go among engineering teams? Yeah, this is very typical. So this would be our backlog in, in agile-like terms. This would be our backlog for the sprint. Uh, often you would then prioritize what you feel is the most uh, relevant and maybe based on also how much effort do you think uh, each of these are. These are quite uniform in size. I've tried to not do any of these like things that need research beforehand or like to find a good solution or data modeling or something like this. So this is very much like 
bug fixes and things like that. So, um, but this is very common, a common structure to have it. And then of course you can click into any of these to get more details on, on what you're actually supposed to fix. Maybe there's a screenshot, um, maybe there's some uh, some limitations, maybe it shouldn't be a fix that applies to everything uh, like in the headline, but uh, fixed for some scenario. You said something very interesting actually, which is that you, you sort of underestimated how long some of the things would take. Like I forgot the numbers you used, but you said that you thought it would take a certain amount of time and it ended up, up taking a little bit longer. And then you also yeah. just quickly touched on the fact that, you know, sometimes I think we all do this, we create a to-do list item and it could be really broad, like clean the house. And then you start to clean the house and you realize that involves like making the bed, scrubbing the floor, dusting, and then, oh no, something's broken and you have to go to the hardware store and come back with a new tool or a screw or something. And what seemed like just one task turns out to be a lot more intensive than it was originally thought. And when you described the tasks that you shared in the screenshot, you sort of mentioned that, well, they're sort of top level things, right? Like you don't expect they will incur much additional work. So you can be quite sure about how long it will take to complete them. Yeah, definitely. The, the, the saying is, uh, what I've heard the most is multiplied by pi, 3.14, um, <laughs> for your estimates. Um, and I think that's been true for our, so far this year, that's what, <laughs> the level we've been at, or the last couple of months actually with the new team. It's been uh, about three times as, as uh, long the sprints than what we intended them to be. Um, but a lot of time that makes sense. So the, with the operation sprint that have been going on, it was a deliberate decision to not just do the quick fixes, but rather move to infrastructure as code, which was not part of the original sprint. That's important, definitely. And if I'm not mistaken, I think most of the, because I'm not sure if you agree with this distinction and, and anybody feel free to push back a little bit, but I often feel like on Scrimba, there's sort of two parts to the code base. Um, there is the sort of Scrimba website that you see, which could be your dashboard and the homepage and parts like that. And then there's also all the accounting, like the account management stuff that happens to do with that, like billing and dunning and, you know, forgot password forms and bits. And then there is sort of the Scrimba editor, if you like, which is an extension of uh, the same sort of underlying editor as VS Code, except it has the timeline, all the recording capabilities. And that's something else that I think a lot of uh, changes are coming to soon. Do you, do you want to talk about that further, or do you think maybe Power would be a good person to just sort of highlight some of the upcoming things you've been working on? I think both of us are good on that. So yeah, we're doing a lot of changes. So Sindra, who has basically like wrote the inbound language and and has like done the first version of Scrimba, and a lot of the things we're doing uh, is rewriting the Scrim player. And and with that, there will be a lot of really fantastic changes coming. It's so exciting actually. Um, and uh, the 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 news on that is I actually put it on a new server today, so we have it on a hidden domain locked uh, locked down and we're testing we can now start testing internally in the team um, you haven't told us heard... no i haven't uh, by by <laughs> i didn't check it with sindra i'm not if, is he in the chat or like the most Listening, fun? Yeah. I, I guess you can't yeah, do a screen share here so it doesn't really matter but we it's uh there's so many good updates coming uh, in the new player uh it, the notes will be cleaned up it will be much easier to to like see your own notes and navigate between them um, there will be some new concepts for teachers to introduce challenges. Uh, you know, there is, uh, yeah, maybe you have more pair. Just VS Code itself will be updated, I think, or Monaco. And uh, yeah. there is so much good stuff coming. 
Yeah, let's uh, share some more of, of like the specific features. Uh, one which has been asked for ever since we started Scrimba, which is subtitles. That's coming finally, uh, and it's um, it's auto generated from. I think we're using Google's um, speech to text API. They have they have like this epic machine learning API which translates your audio files into uh, or, or transcribe them basically. And it works really well, uh, just judging from what I've seen Syndra present to us. So, uh, uh, so as, uh, as the tech tech team uh, advocate here, I'll, I'll caveat that with that will not be in the first deployment because uh, what <laughs> has been built is an internal tool for the, the teachers to see the captions and to edit the timelines or edit the videos based on the captions uh, of the or the text of the videos. Uh, the facing part is not being built yet. I think. Can I can I add that that is just magic? Like, if anybody can imagine, like a editor in I don't know, like an audio editor, a video editor, with like a timeline at the bottom, the sorts of uh, spoken words appear just above the timeline, so the course creator can just very quickly jump around and edit things, allowing them to be more productive and make better courses for everybody. It's so cool. Actually, I can share a video after, or Pear can share it. Share it uh, of of that yeah. update have it here actually i'm going to share the link for the loom where cindra walked through uh, uh how the timeline the hall. Feature we don't works. want to lose people <laughs> oh, i shared it now so it's already done but uh all right, all right, check fine. it out afterwards keep it in the browser uh, browser tab and check it out because it's super magical and what you'll also see there is that tabs are coming which is super neat so uh, Right now, you have to navigate between your files, like, for example, between the index.html and the index.js file by using the sidebar and your uh, cursor, basically. Uh, and that is a bit more clunky than you'd normally do in VS Code. You'd most likely use keyboard shortcuts to jump between files and have them in, in kind of the tab in the navigation menu at the top. And that is something we... Uh, uh, or Syndra has uh, added into this version of the of the editor. It's going to be so neat to just use keyboard shortcuts to jump quickly be between files. And I think that matches really nicely with the solo projects we're focusing on putting into the career path now, because then uh, you'll spend a lot more time in the Scrimba editor building out larger proje projects, and it's important that you're able to kind of quickly jump around uh, in the code base. And, and what changes are coming to nodes? Did you mention that? Yeah, so uh, basically the idea is that when you mm, when you interact with a, um, a challenge, uh, it'll auto-pause and open up a new node for you, which will most likely uh, rename to either branches or uh, forks, because nodes is a really bad name for what essentially is a branch or a fork of the code. Uh, so. I'm not sure if you'll see it exactly in the scrim uh, or the looms we, we shared with you now, but uh, a new editor kind of pops up automatically as you are to uh, as you kind of come to the point in the scrim where the challenge is, and you can open that in a different tab as, as well if you want, and it just becomes really neat, uh, or and also it'll force more people to actually do the challenge as opposed to just, yeah, skip over it and, and watch the solution, which obviously doesn't benefit anyone. So, uh, and, 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 oh. talk, talk to us about this thing where you can like 
click something in the sidebar. So they could be like, well, we spoke a little bit about this in the last town hall, I think, this idea of the sides, right? And I think it also plays into solo projects a little bit. This idea that you can sort of click on a uh, item in the menu on the left-hand side, right next to your files, and then a new version of the Scrim editor opens almost like in a sub window or a modal. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Like why it's useful and why you're excited about it? Yeah, so the idea is, um... As you'll see in that loom, the sidebar has expanded and also now shows the forks. Uh, and forks can be many things. It could be your forks, basically your code solutions for the specific scrim or challenge, but it can also be additional content. So let's say there's a uh, challenge which uh, like uh, encourages you to build something in an app, in, in, a, in a game that we're building in a course, uh, using the dot map method, uh, the array method dot map. And as for that, uh, we might have a, like a short um, refresher on the dot map method in that uh, course, but uh, uh, by using that left-hand sidebar and list of forks, we can also include more like generic descriptions, that is scrim descriptions of specific specific concepts that are touched upon in this scrim. So it kind of becomes like an, an alternative side resource you can use if you're if you're like, I, I kind of didn't understand how uh, uh, Bob here explained the dot map method before he gave me this challenge. So I'm going to check out in the fork if there's any other like uh, supporting material there in, in the list of forks. And that could be, we could have automatically pull in uh, based upon the metadata of the scrim, that we could pull in all of the supporting um, alternative explanation based upon the uh, what kind of code is being produced by the teacher or, or or given as a challenge by the teacher in the scrim. So I think that'll be a, a huge, uh, a hugely helpful feature for students who tend to get stuck uh, in a challenge. That's literally so. Am I am I understanding this right? So you know how in VS Code, for example, you type dot map, and then you get like a little short description of what the function does, but really not enough to learn it. Maybe just enough to remember what arguments it takes. But you're saying that potentially in a scrim, if a function like dot map is used, we could literally detect that and link to a dedicated scrim that explains it for anybody who wants some more in-depth explanation. Yeah, and, and could even do like VS Code and, and link directly from the editor. So maybe you like command click on dot map in the editor and then you're taken to like our, our generic dot map uh, explanation. Uh, that's also uh, an opportunity, would be, which would be super cool. That's, that's magic, because I, I think one thing that gets lost with teaching a lot is like ideally everybody would have a one-to-one -one teacher, right? Because no two students are exactly the same. It's really hard to know when you make a course, like what the viewer knows and what they don't know. And so for, for one viewer, maybe map is like something they've studied already and they don't need to go into so much depth. But if it's something you've struggled to learn or you just haven't encountered yet and you think, oh, okay, this is a good time to learn it because not only can I learn how it works, but then I can return to the original scrim and use it in a sort of practical way you know, for those people, they have the option to tailor their own learning specifically to what they know and what they don't know, which is obviously the best way to learn. Yep, exactly. And uh, kind of, a, we think it's a better way than sending them off to, for example, uh, Mozilla uh, developer docs every time you're confused. Because uh, very often when you land on, when you're confused about a concept and you land on some documentation explaining it, that documentation isn't created for you as a beginner in mind. It's created for 
every uh, developer, uh, JavaScript developer in mind. Uh, so, so it has basically, yeah, in my, in my opinion, uh, uh, too complex language. Yeah, it's good if you like want to re-familiarize yourself with something or if you are using, you're looking for a very specific example, right? Like you want to learn what the third or fourth argument does, but you barely use. But if you're trying to learn it, it's not the best place. And I, I have to admit, you're kind of blowing my mind a little bit because having known about Scrimba for years, like I've, I've seen the evolution of things in some ways. And obviously there was, you know, fundamentally, you know, you can either write about code or you can make a screencast about code, like a YouTube video. Scrimba's always been somewhere in the middle and it's always been leveraged for like educational purposes. But now what you're kind of describing is like creating documentation, essentially, like if you're if we're talking about MDN and the map functions documentation, you're sort of talking about creating a more interactive resource via Scrimba. And yeah, I don't know. I, I never really learned too much about GitSpeak, which was like a side, a sort of like direction Scrimba went in for a little bit. But there was a similar idea. But fundamentally, Scrimba is a great way to explain any code. And it doesn't just have to be a step-by-step -step tutorial. It can be something a little bit more express, like a little scrim about map, for example. Yeah, uh, and as you said, GitSpeak, a lot of the ideas here come from uh, when Syndra worked on GitSpeak, which was a, a tool for, for using Scrimba for documenting and uh, code giving feedback, uh, code reviews uh, in between teams, uh, onboarding developers and stuff like that. Tons of there were tons of cool things that uh, Syndra built into that, and and now he's kind of pulling up some of these ideas as he's rewriting the scrim format. So yeah, it's gonna be amazing, awesome. Yeah, man, everything's it feels like everything's coming together. Like it's incredible, it's exciting, and I I see that Bob, you're back. I I wanted to ask you, like you're you're well aware of these updates to the you know scrim editor and and both both as a course creator and you know exactly how uh, new students are going to experience it as well. Do you think it's going to like influence the way we make courses at Scrimba at all? Because as I just to give people some context who are listening, you know Scrimba is a way to record some code and watch the way it evolves in a very interactive way. And and but you could and I think we made this mistake in the very early days, right, Per? Like sometimes it's tempting just to record record a scrim like you would any video or any presentation but that doesn't really take full advantage of the platform and therefore doesn't help students learn the best over years like every new scrim every kind of adaptation we make to the career path is to somehow better explain and help you better remember the code i'm wondering how you see these new updates playing into the future of content at scrimba bob yeah there's definitely can you hear me okay yeah you sound great okay um, I was switching back and forth between my phone and my 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 laptop. Um, the it, it certainly will make a difference. I mean, if if nothing else, it will just the tooling will double down on sort of our our two philosophy that is much more interactive um, and you know includes spaced repetition and um, all those great things for your brain when you're trying to learn and give tools to the content creators, which I guess at this point, we're not really just hiring out, you know, anybody to do a course, but it will make it a lot easier for people to remember, like this is something students should be interacting with, not something they should be watching. So for example, the automatic pausing, um, and I, I miss what updates you were talking about, Paris. I don't know how in-depth you got, I imagine there's not too much that we're like trying not to share. Is that right? Like, can I talk about some? Yeah, of the that's cool right. Talk, that talk, talk freely, please. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, and I'm sure, I'm sure you could pitch in, and I'm sure Cinder is going to be screaming like, "That's not how it is." But <laughs> I thought um, that. <laughs> the, yeah, 
the uh, automatic pausing, I think, will be a big one. So when uh, instead of me saying, um, you know, pause the lesson now and and try this out yourself, and then when I edit, I I leave a seven second pause after I say that, just long enough to be awkward, even in two x speed, when it gives people enough time to be like, ah, oh, all right, fine, I'll do it, instead of just kind of blazing through it. Automatic pausing will make it so that you don't have a choice. It will pause and you have to actively make the conscious decision. Like I'm going to skip this challenge and then shame on you for, <laughs> for doing that. Um, that. So that'll pause the scrim. There's, you know, the cool feature with branching, um, which will make it so that if we ever forget to teach something or we get feedback from students that say like, hey, I, you talked about this, but I don't remember learning that, or it's been a long time since I've done that. We can sort of inject a fork into the middle of a scrim that will make it so, you know, a student is watching and then something can pop up that says like, if you want to learn more or to, to listen to an aside about the array map function, um, click here and this will, you know, pop up sort of a, a scrim inside of a scrim um, modal that students can refresh on a topic. And what's the, the beauty of that is that we can go back um, after the fact and add those in. So I think that will really help the curriculum evolve into something that can include a lot of uh, spaced repetition. Um, so instead of us teaching something once and then saying, okay, students know that forever now, we can say, let's go back and review these topics that were not super simple, you know, but also have been, it's been a while since we've looked at, um, there's, you know, just a lot of cool things that will, I think, make, make the experience so much better. The work that is being done with the, the pointer events and how it reacts on different screen sizes, I think will be huge. Um, I, I don't know that I've even thought through the ramifications of that, like what it would mean for students to be able to watch more actively on mobile, um, you know, how that might affect different people in different parts of the world um, and, you know, what they, what devices they can afford to be using Scrimba on and, and so forth. I'm sure there's a lot of cool side effects that I, I at least haven't thought, thought through. So super exciting stuff. On that note, uh, uh, let's share the pointer events update loom as well, uh, which Cinder recorded a couple of weeks ago, uh, because it's it's super neat to look at how or how complex actually it is to to uh, to just handle the the movements of the cursor uh, when the teacher has recorded it on a different screen size than what the student is watching the scrim on. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna share the, a link now in the uh, in the chat where you all can see that. But uh, <laughs> as we said, wait until the after this uh, this um, town hall is over. Please don't leave us just yet. You're you're talking about when like you're watching a scrim and then like some of the code is maybe hidden behind the web browser and you have to sort of move it around. Maybe because the like teacher recorded it on a different screen size to you. That that's kind of addressed in like these future updates. 
Yeah. Uh, so basically, if you as a teacher, you're recording on a huge monitor and you're moving your cursor from the mini browser on the right hand side over to the file system on the left hand side, and you're maybe uh, passing over a lot of code and, uh, th and that has a certain angle, like when that, that uh, from, from the two points, um, uh, starting point and ending point, uh, your movement will have kind of a, yeah, call it an angle. Uh, if you suddenly then watch, uh, watch it, that scrim on a very small screen, uh, and then it, it'll look really weird. It, uh, like the, the movements will just be super funky because uh, it looks like it's jumping around because things aren't placed um, kind of in relation to each other on a small screen as they were in a large screen. And how we track the cursor movement is uh, has to be kind of intelligently changed when you then replay it on a on a smaller screen. It's really hard to explain. I'm realizing now, so I'm just going to share that Loom link uh, so you can see how Syndra has solved it. It's uh, super neat. Yeah, it's like that classic problem. Like I understand you perfectly, but it's also possible that I've seen a like I think we looked at it in a Zoom call, didn't we, on a screen share and in the Loom as well. Like once you've already seen it, yeah. you kind of understand it better. But it's funny, isn't it? Because uh, teaching code isn't that different in that respect. Like sometimes you don't remember what it feels like not to know something. And it's something you have to try very yeah. hard to like overcome, I'd say. Cool. Sure. And actually, um, sorry, uh, I just got a question in the chat here, or I saw a question which, which I, um, I want to address. Uh, it's, it's John who's asking, is module four update still slated for late January? Um, and I think he's asking for module six because that's what we've said uh, is for late January. So uh, putting you on the spot here, Tom, since you are the one creating that update, uh, are you able to answer John uh, on his question? Hi, can you hear me first? Yep. Yeah. Yes, you can. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. So module six, it's really progressing very, very well. Um, will it be ready for the end of January in like five days time? I fear the answer to that is no. We're very, very close. Um, we have got ooh, about six, I think, more scrims to record, but then there is also going to be a bit of tidying up and reviewing to be done after that before it goes live. So we're very, very close, but not quite the end of January, I don't think. Frodo, Frodo, look at, look at these guys, man. They didn't multiply their estimate by 3.14 pi. That's the problem. <laughs> yep, yep. Classic problem. <laughs> they'll learn so it'll be it'll be ready in april <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm hoping before april i'm really hoping i'm hoping sometime in in february i mean we only really I started think... it actually almost i want maybe not quite halfway through december but but not at the beginning of december so um, um yeah we we haven't done badly we haven't done badly i think um a couple more weeks Maybe I less. think so as well. Yeah, two weeks. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing the first, definitely the first half of, of February is. Uh, uh, it'll be launched, I think. Uh, Time for Valentine's and, Day, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Ooh. and lovely, and it's super. It, it, it's really good, and um, we actually have a couple of sneak peeks we can share. Uh, if you're cool with that, uh, Tom. Yeah, go for it. So these are the 
sides for dot map and dot join, which are two of the array methods that uh, you'll learn in the course. I'm going to share both of them now in the chat so that all of you can check them out. Uh, and yeah, What's, can you perhaps explain for people what an aside is, Tom? Yeah, sure. So these asides are, it kind of fits in very much with what we were just talking about and what Bob was just talking about. So as you're going through the course, and in this case, the course so far is all about one application. And then you meet a topic like the dot map method, and that is likely new to you or something that you're pretty unfamiliar with. And the idea of an aside is that we step away from the main project and we take one or more scrims to have a look at that topic kind of in isolation. So we can get rid of all the other complexity and just focus on this one thing. Um, so in the case of the dot map method, it might be looking at, well, okay, so we've been using for loops to do this, this, and this, and now the dot map method is going to be a superior way of doing this. So, so let's just look at how that works in detail. And so an aside normally includes a bit of a demonstration, um, a, a bit of theory, not, we're keeping the theory sort of to a minimum and maximizing obviously the the main purpose of Scrimba, which is the interactive coding. Um, and then ending probably with a challenge on, on every aside. I think we'll end with a challenge on every aside. And then with that done, the student will hopefully be in, well, not hopefully, they will be for sure in a better place to take on the next part of the course because they will now have the understanding of that skill. Um, and then as we were saying earlier, obviously in the future, we've got this idea that those asides can also be used individually. So uh, so the, at any other point in a course when, when that topic comes up, perhaps that aside will be useful. I mean, that's just obviously a, another um, opportunity to have it explained perhaps in a different way or by a different person, which, which is always good. Can I, can I ask why, why the name aside in particular? And that's a good <laughs> question. Um, I think the, the aside, yeah. I mean, it is, it, it's an, it's a deviation from the main from the main thread of the course as i say the, the the whole of module six so far is about one particular app that we're working on all throughout and the aside is kind of like just taking a step outside of that so yeah in that sense it's a bit like the word aside as it's used in semantic html isn't it it's just like a little bit which is kind of like off off the main thread yeah, we, we have had other words for it as well, like, uh, I think, digressions, or uh, I'm, I'm not really sure. Maybe you can remember, Bob, what we've called these types of uh, side lessons before. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, I, I've i always, I think, used a side, but maybe I can look back through my scrims. But I think it does be, I haven't really thought too much about it um, until you asked it, Alex, but it does speak, I think, well to the new philosophy that basically says our main purpose is to build projects so that you're applying what you're learning. And it's an aside, you know, oftentimes what I'll do is I'll show a really 
convoluted way to do it or lengthy way to do it in just the really basic tools that they might know, like a manual for loop, and then say, but there's a better way. And now let's take an aside and learn the concepts of that better way. And then you come back from that aside and you apply what you learned on the aside to the project. And you, then you can see back to back how much simpler it is now that you know that new tool. Yeah, uh, and um, uh, the kind of the, the philosophy is that uh, you, a student should be able to build the entire app or is throughout the course, the student should write almost all of the code in the Scrimba course. And when you then hit a point where, oh, actually, uh, here the student has to use ternary operators and we haven't taught ternary operators yet, then we can't just go ahead like a normal YouTube video uh, does uh, and just explain ternary operators in the context of the project because the teacher isn't supposed to write the code. The student is supposed to do that. So then we have to go out on an, on an aside, explain ternary operators, and then return to the project and say, okay, now you know the project and you know ternary operators from the aside, then now implement ternary operators into the project itself. Um, and speaking of project, I just shared uh, Tom's uh, the role-playing game you're creating, Tom, in, in the chat here, so, so people can see it. Just head over to the Town Hall chat, you'll see an image of that epic-looking game. I want, I want to try something, if you guys will let me. I'm going to write... I see several people are typing. I'm going to let that discussion subside for a second because i want to post a quick message with a few options i'm going to present three options each with a number associated with them and i want to ask people you know which of these three things are the most important to you at scrimba and you can either write a single number or you can combine the numbers right so you can say multiple things right so let me try this um which of the following are the most important to you at Scrimba. So if you hear me typing, check out the Town Hall chat channel for this message. And so for example, if you only, you know, if you're here for the teachers, you press two. If you're here for everything, you type one, two, three. I'm just very curious to get a sense for like where people in the town hall, perhaps arguably some of our like, um, you know, anybody here I think is like on a really good path. I think if you're listening to a town hall in your spare time, I think that's a really good sign. I'm just kind of curious to get like a sort of temperature test and see what people people find the most interesting and exciting about Scrimba. Maybe, maybe it'll be interesting to you guys as well. What do you think? I bet this could be a poll. There's Is there like any kind of polling feature in Discord? Mm, don't Should have used I... emojis on your, uh, <laughs> on your message because oh, now yeah. there's oh. a ton of messages. <laughs> Leanne, Leanne leaves for, Leanne's on holiday for one week, and this is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> My Good job, Good mix. Say again, Frodo? Good job creating some more work for yourself. Now we have yeah, to summarize. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just a vibe, isn't it? Like, you see, if you see a lot of freeze, that means one thing. Yeah, but, but I, think, I think you're catching on to the same thing, Per. Like, it's pretty mixed. Yeah. Oh, no, sometimes I feel like emojis. Yeah, and yeah, I know. I mean, should I should have? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think as well. Sometimes, like one, which is the uh, interactive editor, is like. Not, I'm not saying it's the unsung hero, but sometimes the teachers are better because of it, right? So if they say two, it also kind of means one, in, in a way. But we have we have some pretty awesome teachers at Scrimber. I think it's fair to say. 
yeah, and and oftentimes they people get like uh, impressed by the editor and a bit like mind blown by the editor, uh, and then they realize, oh, actually the teachers are pretty good as well. Uh, and <laughs> then after they've <laughs> done that, oh, this community is really nice, and the events are fun as well. So, uh, hope hopefully they start with one and then graduate to one, two, three. Awesome. I see a few more messages like trickling in. I wanted to sort of circle back to two things related to awesome. courses and education. The first thing, I forgot what you called it, Bob, but you said version 2.0 of what? The pedagogy? I don't think you used that word. Yeah, the pedagogy, sort of our learning philosophy. As much as we can step away from people or course creators treating Scrimba like a YouTube video that just kind of writes the code for you and copy pastes a bunch of stuff, um, that's kind of what we're going for. I think on YouTube, um, I don't know, you, you can, there's no interaction, right? I mean, you can send people a, a link to a GitHub repo or something, um, but there's no way to like pause and expect the student to really follow along or do anything unless they're really going above and beyond on their own side, um, which is great if they have that kind of motivation. Um, but so stepping away from that and, and using the tooling that we have to really um, double down on the benefits of the interactive editor. And so there is that element of making things interactive like other platforms can't. You also mentioned something called spaced repetition. What What is that and like, why should people care? Yeah, I, I think actually the, the real term is spaced learning and repetition. They, they kind of go together. The idea of spaced learning is that you don't try to cram everything in all at once and you um, you give yourself breaks so your brain gets a chance to like digest everything that you've learned. Um, Pomodoro timer timers are great for that, not even just when you're trying to, trying to work, but when you're trying to learn. Um, I think uh, if, if anyone has ever played Flexbox Zombies, um, by Dave Geddes, it's on Mastery Games, I think is what it's called or something like that. Um, he has Flexbox Zombies and Grid Critters. He talks a lot about that. He has throughout his lessons, he'll say, okay, you should be done for the day. Like this is where you should stop and go come back tomorrow to pick up what you've learned. And then the repetition part is what, what it sounds like. You, you, the next day after you've kind of taken your break or an hour later, whatever, whatever it is, you get a chance to revisit the same material. So one thing that um, we'll be looking at is finding creative ways in our Scrimba modules to require students to use the most important knowledge from previous modules um, in their work. So for example, say in module uh, pair, maybe you can help me out. I forget where responsiveness is. Um, is that module four? Um, module five. Five. So you yeah. learn responsive design in module five, say from Kevin Powell. And then what we should do is for every solo project and probably every major project in the entire career path after module five, we should include a requirement that says this needs to look good on mobile. And then the designs that we hand out for, for Figma for the solo projects should have mobile versions, um, like desktop and mobile versions. 
that that can be a little tricky in the Scrimba uh, editor as it currently is because you kind of have to pop the the browser up and down to get it wide enough to look like a desktop. Like I've been designing everything just for mobile because that's really what the mini browser size is. Um, but that's the concept behind the repetition. Like don't just teach it once, assess it once, and then assume that students know it forever thereafter. There's like, am I wrong? I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering, but is, do people use like cards, like flashcards, or is that nothing to do with space repetition? Is that just different? No, absolutely. Um, a lot of people point to Anki, I think, A-N-K-I, as a system for really hammering on the spaced repetition, um, spaced learning and repetition, um, because it uses an algorithm that, you know, basically it quizzes you on a, a flashcard. And then when you look at the answer, you rate yourself on how well you knew it. And if you, you know, knew it like the back of your hand, then you just put five and it doesn't test you on that flashcard again for a long time. And if you say, I didn't know that at all, or I knew that a tiny bit, like, oh, I kind of vaguely remember that, then you give yourself a one or a two, and then it's gonna give you that flashcard um, more frequently. So that's, that's very much like the same concept. Another thing that's somewhat related to like the pedagogy at Scrimba, and actually, by the way, I think it's really cool how you can, and I do think it's worth anybody spending a bit of time to learn how to learn, just understanding a bit of the psychology behind it, what kind of options are available to you, uh, and likewise, finding something that works for you. Like, only you can answer that. But I do think when you're a new coder, especially, and there isn't a clear path necessarily about what to learn and in what order and how to learn it, you tend to ping pong around a little bit. And, and it can make you feel productive because every day you're showing up, you're working hard, you're going to bed tired. But at the end of the day, if what you're learning isn't sticking and you're not actually becoming a more competent and capable developer as a result, it might not actually be that productive. And what I really like about the career path overall is that, you know, you I still think you should spend a bit of time learning how to learn. But even if you don't, the career path is designed in such a way that you sort of fall into the pit of success. Like, it's really hard to sidestep any of these things, which, you know, can sometimes feel a bit uh difficult, right? Like if you're watching a YouTube video and the person says, okay, guys, here's a ternary operator. You do this, you do that, you get this. Like you, you know, express it so much quicker, right? And you're like, that's, that's efficient. But then again, you might not remember it so much. And so I can imagine, Bob, when you mention something like that, maybe the student feels a bit of like discomfort, like, oh, this thing seems hard. But, but by pushing through that, that sort of discomfort, that effortfulness, that's sort of how you learn the best. And when you combine this with a bunch of other sorts of uh, things in the career path, like space repetition. And, and one more thing I wanted to draw focus to is I think they're becoming more and more prevalent nowadays is this idea of solo projects. Can you tell us a bit about solo projects in general, just quickly for anybody who hasn't heard us talk about them before? And just out of curiosity, have you made any, like, are there any sort of updates inbound regarding solo projects that people can look forward to? Yeah, so the, one second. Sorry, my voice is being weird. Um, no, you're the, just too excited about solo projects. I understand. I'm so excited. I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> the, uh, the concept of solo projects is that we don't help students with the code. It's sort of a way for students to self-assess. So when they finish a module, I mean, the, the whole, I guess, symptom of tutorial hell is you feel like you're learning um, as you're watching somebody do something. Or even, honestly, if you're following along in Scrimba with little bite-sized pieces, um, you know, we do our best to make sure 
to give you something that's challenging enough that you have to engage your brain. You can't just be like, oh, what is one plus one? That's two. Um, but rather you have to think a little critically or put pieces together on your own. But then the truth is we always go through it with you. And it's uh, even with the best intentions, it's really easy to say, you know, oh, I just spent 30 seconds thinking about that and I'm not sure how I would do it. So I'm just going to hit play and have the instructor show me how they do it. Um, I mean, I end up doing it all the time and I should know better when I'm learning something new. Um, it, it takes a good amount of self um, discipline, I guess, to to force yourself, like even when it's uncomfortable and hard to do something. So a solo project takes away the component of the instructor just showing you how to do it. And students who uh, go through the career path, um, I guess I would say the way that they should, would get to a solo project and then they would really put their heart and soul into doing the solo project. And if the solo project is easy for them, then that's a perfect indicator that you learned everything you need to learn from that module. And if the solo project turns out to be a huge, um, uh, difficult ta task for them, then that's a great indicator that they're not quite ready to move on. And it's not like school. I think the thing that makes it hugely different is no one's going to give you a grade and tell you you're bad and then also move on, which is what happens in school. Um, but instead they, you know, because it's self-paced, students can say like, okay, I guess I'm not quite ready yet to move on. I should take these aspects of the solo project that were more difficult and then go back in the career path and study those things up until I can do this by myself. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the concept of solo projects. Um, I, we have a few solo projects that are designed. I have a lot of ideas um, that are scattered throughout the career path, but Perry and I were just noticing that um, so Roku is our one of our guy who does uh, a lot of our designs and he does an awesome job. I think I shared a screenshot from, I think it was the password generator maybe last yeah. week. Um, I can try to find that again. Share, and, I can, I'll have another I screenshot. Here, actually. I'm going to, I'm going to share it. Oh yeah. That'd be great. Uh, the password generator. Uh, so, so that uh, one's, yeah. um, that one's really fun. It's, um, you know, it, it might look more complicated than it actually is. What's nice about um, these solo projects going forward is I'm having Roku um, offer different uh, color schemes. So students can say like, well, it doesn't have to be, you know, dark gray, green and white, but there's like a whole palette of colors that would all work together well. And so students can make theirs blue or yellow or whatever um, to make it pretty cool. Um, but we also noticed that the other projects that Roku designed, like they looked very similar to the password generator. So we're having him redesign some of the other ones so that students are just like doing the same looking project over and over. They, they all look awesome, but they all look very similar to each other. Yeah, so the design is good to get awesome as well. Yeah, yeah we've taken a lot of uh, inspiration from from front-end mentor uh, in that sense. They have such su such neatly designed projects, and people seem to love to do them without any hand-holding. So definitely take some, take some inspiration from them. Yeah, um, and absolutely. Actually, uh, yeah, um, and, and um, I've been working on my own solo project lately, actually, because uh, I'm doing the module, what will be module one I'm, I'm re-recording. 
the introduction to HTML and CSS, and a solo project which I'm really looking forward to see the community solve is, is the one I'm going to share in the uh, chat now. It's basically about creating a website for your hometown or your city or your county or whatever <laughs> like area you decide, but just something that shares a little bit of where you're from and, and how it looks like there and what, what are the uh, activities to do there. So, so I'm going to share mine now from, from a, a part of the city in Oslo called Torshav. Uh, and the point is that this should be personalized by all of the uh, all of the students in the community. So I'm really looking forward to see because, I mean, people are from literally all over the world here. And it'll be so much fun to, to kind of get to know a little bit about where you're from, basically, and, and how it looks like there. Here, after this... Um... This is this is probably an internal uh, conversation, but I'll send you my slides that I've been using for for um, solar projects because that way they can all look the same. Yes, it. Frodo, have you been to Torshov? Is it everything it's made out to be in this lovely looking landing page? I used to, I used to live quite close to it. Uh, so I've been there a lot of times, uh, and uh, that is a favorable photo from Tusho, but uh, that's just my point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're making a website, you're not picking uh, some like and throw something like this. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it looks, uh, it's the most beautiful photo I could find. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's all, that's all web design is, it's, it's beautiful photos, and... Uh, yeah, fonts and palettes. It's up and coming, this area. <laughs> Old working class area in the center of, of Oslo. Really nice. Should visit there. If, if, if anyone who visits Oslo should definitely go there. I'll give them a tour. Has the best butcher in town. <laughs> yeah. Do you think these projects would make good addition to a good addition to people's portfolios as they progress through the career path, or do you think it's better to only sort of use custom projects? I mean, that's that's part of the point is to to build out people's portfolios with those projects, uh, and ideally, then that's why we're also introducing personalization because uh, it doesn't look that good if you have the exact same project as someone else in, in your portfolio or as a ton of other students, but personalizing it a little bit, changing some colors, uh, the fonts, uh, the images, uh, maybe some features can go a long way uh, and set you apart from other people when, when applying for your first job. So yeah, I think repetition in learning as, um, as um, Bob said, and uh, deploying them as your portfolio is kind of perhaps the two biggest reasons to, to, uh, that we're introducing solo projects. Along with also, yeah, uh, self-assessment. Uh, that's what they were called in the beginning, actually, self-assessment projects. Mm. Oh, a little bit of a rebrand then, okay. And so I guess like the projects have to, just by nature, get more, well, they at least have to start a bit simpler, right? Just because you'll be newer to the career path and you're still building your skills. But obviously the idea is that you get better and better as the career path goes on. Is the idea then that
uh, that doesn't use a single or need a single feature of JavaScript or HTML or CSS, uh, a single more feature than what you have learned in order to build. So uh, it, all of the solo projects should be possible to solve uh, if you've reached that project in the career path. So yes, they, they progress alongside your skills. And is there ever, like, do you have any interest? Have you explored like a notion of something like a capstone project? I mean, these are basically capstone projects. Well, what is a capstone project? Yeah, basically. So they are, they no, are at the end of the modules uh, and meant to kind of test your skills. Uh, so we have, they are like module or section specific um, uh, capstone projects, you could call it. But Alex, are you okay. referring to like the end of the whole career path? Like a yeah, yeah, exactly. Like this is your ah. absolutely your own. Yeah, I think uh, there we, there's kind of a semantic difference, I guess, between a solo project and what we might consider a capstone project, and we haven't really discussed this, so I'm not like cementing this in in place in Scrimbalore. But the what I first imagined with the capstone project is instead of providing a design, we provide a set of requirements that's like. You have to use React. You have to reach out to an API. You have to have you know um, some kind of interaction with the, the user. It has to be well designed. It has to be uh, responsive friendly or mobile friendly. You know, so there's like a list of requirements. And then it's um, at least at, when I was working at uh, the school, the, the bootcamp, we for our React capstone project before we started teaching backend, uh, it was a it was an API project. So it was like uh, create a poker game using the deck of cards API so you can actually play poker against the computer. I mean, those are maybe one of the more ambitious ones, but, um, you know, we give them a list of like 200 different APIs that they could interact with without needing a server and, um, and build project based on that. I, I think like the old module 13 is kind of like that, except we walked people through it too much where it was to build a Netflix clone. So, of a capstone project could essentially be like, you know, build a Netflix clone is one of the options that would satisfy all these requirements. But by leaving it open-ended and not providing a specific API or a specific design, it becomes a lot more useful for students to put in their portfolios because no one else will have that exact same project. Very, very cool. Sounds amazing. And something everybody can look forward to as they progress through the career path. That's unfortunately all we have time for today. I mean, we've been here for an hour, spoke about various updates that are coming to Scrimba. It's been great to hear from everybody on the team and always such a pleasure to share a stage with you. And to everybody who is tuned in, like it's amazing to see so many familiar faces as well as a few new ones. It's an absolute joy to get to come here every week and sort of hang out and talk about things in the community. The chat moves quite fast and you know when we're hosting and stuff sometimes it's hard to keep up with but there's actually quite a lot of like very like i want to go back and try and make sense of all those numbers i asked people to write because i ended up generating some kind of like matrixy morse code thing that's hard to discern but it's still very interesting to hear how people are using the platform and, and likewise some great sort of feature requests and thoughtful questions that always feed into the things we do at scrimba be that updates to the career path and our modules or even events in the community. So once again, thank you very much for tuning in and we will see you back here next Tuesday at the same exact time, which is just an hour before now, 5 p.m. GMT. Thanks everybody. Thanks everyone. Thanks all. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers, guys.